So I was thinking, what's it like to empower your community? That's exactly what we discuss on this episode with Will Tyrone Toms, co-founder and chief creative officer at Rec Philly, a startup built for creatives here in the city. We discuss the beginnings of Rec Philly, how Will knew it was time to make the jump to becoming a full-time entrepreneur, as well as the impact that he and his co-founder have made on the creative scene here in Philadelphia. We also get into some of Will's daily habits and his thoughts on what helps him live his best life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, cool. Thank you for you know joining me on on the show. Really appreciate it. You know, I know you're a busy man, so yeah, um, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's a pleasure to be here, bro. Before we get into it, you know, for those who are listening out there who might not know who you are, you know, you're kind of like an icon in Philly right now. <laughs> But, you know, for, for people out there who might not have heard of you, not, might not have heard of Rec Philly, sure. you know, you want to just introduce yourself? Sure, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, my name is Will Tyrone Toms. I am a 29-year-old entrepreneur based here in Philadelphia. kind of see myself uh, positioned right in the intersection of media, culture, and business and economics, right? So I built a company called Rec Philly. Essentially, Rec Philly is this ecosystem that really is all designed and dedicated to one thing, and that's empowering creative people to do more of what they love, right? So here in Philly, you know, we're a talent town. You yeah. know, we've got tons of, of creative talent, but what we aren't, unfortunately, is a industry town, right, where there's a very clear-cut path for someone with talent to be able to find access to the high-quality resources, to create to find access to the strategies and the mentorship to actually understand how to build a, a sustainable and a scalable business around their art. And it's not as easy sometimes to find just like-minded people, right? Where do you find your tribe of people who care just as much about the art as they do about the business, yeah. right? So essentially with Rec, we've built what we think of as a gym membership for creatives. So we're sitting right now in the podcast studio that sits in our 10,000 square foot creative space, 14 private studios down here at Ninth and Market, and it's just all about, you know, could we design an environment that could set creators up for success? That's really cool. I think the the phrase that pops out to me when I think about Rec and I think about the stuff that you're doing here is is it takes a village, mm. you know. And so it's really interesting where you guys started to where you guys are now, where it's it's kind of like I, I think of it almost like a collective in terms of where you think of like our future or stuff like that. You got a bunch of people with different talents who who were like, hey, we have a vision for this. And now it's come grown into a village, really, like yeah. within Philly. Um, so I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that, maybe. Um, just more about kind of the, the impact that you're seeing from, from when you guys first started to now. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I think that idea of it takes a village is very true. You know, one of our kind of like trademark slogans is independent doesn't mean alone, right? Because when you think about the independent grind, a lot of times for creators out of necessity, we have to figure it all out on our own, right? As a, a musician, we'll be like, yeah, you know, I shot my own video, I wrote the song, I, I produced the record, I'm my own marketer, my own manager, the whole <laughs> yeah. thing, right? But I think the reality is we do that out of necessity, but then there comes a point in time where to really maximize our potential, we need to sync up with people who are passionate about their own skill sets and are putting in their own 10,000 hours to be really great at, let's say, design, right? Or, or, or strategy, right? and figuring out how we can all work together. So for Rec, you know, I, I think it's easy to see us as that kind of like creative collective. And I think on the agency side, we've become that. But really on the incubator side, we just seek to really be the platform, right? Like we don't necessarily see ourselves as like, yo, Rec is like the cool creative kids. It's just like, nah, Rec is a resource for any creator who wants to tap in and understands the importance of collaboration, the importance of resource sharing, the importance of just creating this network, right, of these interdependent creators yeah. who are all self-sufficient, but know that together we can all be be better when you think about just like how group economics works. Yeah. You know, you talk about like resource sharing. I think that's yep. so important, especially in today's economy. Yeah. The way everything's shifting towards like the gig economy and how, you know. Mm-hmm. Before it seemed like you want to go to somebody, you go to a whole like shop and, and you pick and choose whatnot. But now it's like, you know, it, it's been so democratized yeah. in terms of resources. Like you got to go to, you know, one person for design or you might go yeah. to someone else for, for editing. I know for me, 
I'm kind of in a place right now where I'm thinking about just like with the podcast and, and life, like who are those people I can go to? And, and it's cool because you have a place like Rec where you yeah. bring all those people together. Yeah, and, and just to say a little bit more about that, right? Like when I think of resource sharing, I think power in efficiency, right? So for example, I'm, I'm a nerd, right? So like when I went to school, I studied communications media because I really just wanted to understand the power of like aesthetic, the power of theory, why pe- why certain things look good, why other things didn't. Um, I thought I was going to go into broadcasting, this and that. But then out of uh, just really a personal passion, I wanted to also understand economics, okay. right? So I studied econ and micro and macro and wanted to understand just how the whole money system worked, right? Why some people had tons of money and why most people I knew didn't. So as a nerd in college studying economics at a time when Airbnb is really coming to fruition and Uber's coming to fruition, early on I studied those models and I could kind of decipher that like, yo, Airbnb is becoming one of the fastest growing hospitality companies and they don't own any buildings, right? And Uber is becoming one of the fastest growing transportation companies and they don't own any cars. Single car. And the beauty of it is the efficiency that they can create by connecting someone who needed a ride to someone who's willing to give them a ride at that moment, right? Same thing for Airbnb. So for me, I'm thinking, well, one of the biggest challenges in the entertainment space is it's inefficient. If my if I'm a artist and my photographer bails on me the night of my show, what do I do to find another photographer, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You go on Twitter and say, hey, anyone know a photographer's available tonight at this venue, yada, yada, yeah. or you go on Facebook. So for us, the idea of being able to create a network of creatives to the point where now any member of REC can pick up their phone, open our app, and literally type the words photographer into the app and then get you know a list of 70 people who yeah. are capable, you can connect with them. That's the level of efficiency that I think just wasn't present, right, for a creative here in Philly before. And then to take it a step further, like, again, when you think of the resource sharing base that our company of REC is built on, it's about how do we help build some of the world's fastest growing entertainment brands but not need to own those brands to do it? I mean, you know, thinking about this journey and thinking about, you know, people aren't really, I won't say take you guys seriously, but I think at the same time, it's, you know, I think you guys have so much room to grow. Of course. And I think that so many people aren't, aren't like, I talk to people, I'm like, yo, you guys know Rec Philly? And they're like, in the circles I run through, some of them are like, no, nah, I never heard of them. Or like, sure. oh, Rec Philly. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Like, so think about just underrated. I think, I think y'all have a really cool journey mapped out. And I think y'all are yeah. going far. And I think in terms of, you know, networking people and, and connecting people in the city, but sure. also just in the country. I think that, yeah, I think that's, you know, like world dominations, the, you know, let's take over the world pinky but. in the brain style. Um, well, I don't know, man. I think for me, I, I try not to ever use that word underrated just because like, again, I spent a lot of my time with like musicians and artists, right. And like people love to cling to that, excuse of like yo i'm so slept on okay. right yeah. and usually when an artist tells me that they're slept on i say well you're a bad marketer right because yeah. it's no one's no one owes you their attention no yeah. one owes you just you know their awareness it's it's about how good are you at understanding your story telling your story and getting your story to the people that it'll matter to so when you when you mention that we're underrated like that's fine i just think of we're we're like the best kept secret but only because we've chosen to be a secret, right? I think for us, both me and my co-founder, Dave Silver, we've always been about the work first and getting the work to those who matter. And it's like, we don't care if anyone who's not in that target market doesn't know about us, right? Until we get to the point where we want everyone to know, right? And And I think also sometimes people, they see a business growing and, you know, we're five years in, which is beauty to even be able to say, but we know that the mission is gonna take much longer than that. You know, so if if this was baseball, we're at the bottom of the second right now of a nine inning game, you know, yeah. and, and for us to be where we are now, have grown out of the warehouse to, you know, this new facility and the fashion district, it's all just the warm up to really prove the model and perfect the model here in Philly. But eventually it's, you know, it's not just Rec Philly, it's going to be Rec DC and Rec Austin and Rec Atlanta. You know, the vision's always been to build this international uh, network of independent creatives. Hey, I'm when you guys you know get wrecked Tampa, I guess <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's my second home uh, nice. outside of Philly. But uh, you know I'm there. So I guess when you look at this journey though, what is the decision that you made 
I'm trying not to use the, the, the term underrated, but uh, I'm going to use it. So sure. what's a decision that you made that you would say is you know, real underrated decision that got you to this point? Ooh, man. I mean, there's so many decisions, right? Like our present is literally just um, the sum of all the decisions that we've made, right? Yeah. Um, man, let's see. So the first one that comes up for me is the one having the belief to quit the full-time job to then build this. Right. When um, when Dave and I were first building Rec, we had just pivoted from our first company, right, Broadsheet Music Group. And that gave us the ability to really work with thousands of creators because we were throwing like hundreds of shows over the course of like, I don't know, 2012 to like 2015 almost. And at that time, I had a full time job. I, I had a great job. I was working for um, an incredible marketing agency called Fame House. I was doing day to day digital strategy for Ice Cube and Eminem and Shady Records yeah. and all these great brands. So it was like, yo, I'm pretty lit, right? Doing this stuff, learning how to do digital strategy. But I had to make the decision eventually to say, yo, like, if I believe in this company that we're building, eventually I need to be able to spend all of my best hours working on it as opposed to what I was doing then, which was the eight to five grind. And then like five to nine, as Gary Vee says. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. Oh, five it five was, to six. Yeah, it was more like <laughs> eight to five and then 5.30 to like 2 a.m., right? Because again, we're throwing shows every night yeah. of the week and all that. Um, and there became a time where it was very clear. It was like, hey, there's opportunity for growth in my role at the agency. You know, they're, they're talking about promotions, taking on new clients. I'll never forget, they, they brought me a uh, Tayo Cruz was going to be the new client. Oh, wow. You know, when that happens, but at the same time, I had just gotten back from South by Southwest for the first time we had thrown the first official Philadelphia showcase oh, yeah. at South by Southwest. This is kind of almost like Rex, like I'm coming out party outside of our region. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I get back and then I have that conversation with the management there and it was just like, a really polite uh, ultimatum, <laughs> you oh, know? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And it was, wow. and it was just kind of one of those things. It was like, yo, like we see you doing really great things for your company, and that's all well and good. But we see your growth trajectory here, and we'd really love to make sure this is your, your main focus, focus, right? And then that there was a decision that had to be made. And for me, fortunately, it was one of the easiest decisions I could make. I was already kind of preparing myself for months before that to be ready, ready to take the the leap. So I did, and and never looked back, and. Now I've been a full-time entrepreneur for just about six years now. Wow, that's crazy. I have to dive into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you had that thought process, why was it so easy to say, I mean, this is all good, you know, like, Tayo Cruz, that's yeah. pretty cool, but, like, nah, like, you know, I'm, I'm going the other way. Because I think that's interesting for people out there who are starting their own businesses now, starting mm-hmm. their own gigs, trying to take that freelancing full-time, maybe, yeah. or we're doing something completely different. I think that's so important. Yeah, I think it was a number of things that made the decision easy for me. The first one I'll say is the more ego-driven one, which is I knew since young that I wanted to build something of my own, right? When was always kind of the question, but like in high school, Dave and I were writing business plans, right? Trying to figure out like clothing companies to production companies to, you know, we knew in in late high school, it was like, yo, we're gonna build something around the arts and entertainment space just because we knew that we like how we felt when we were close to expression, close to art, and close to culture. So it was just, okay, well, what is that going to be, right? So when I had the opportunity to be inside of a startup at that time, which then got bought out by a bigger company called SFX, which is like a corporation, I got to be front row to watch startup culture transition into corporate culture, see what I liked, what I didn't. And yeah, for me, it was just like, I know I'm ready to bet on myself. Right. So I wasn't intimidated by the challenge of having to figure it out. And then secondly, I think the more important driver for me was my day to day. I'm, I'm working for millionaires, making millionaires more millions. Right. If I did my job well, I was helping somebody else take home another, you know, couple million easily. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that just didn't feel as good to me and as rewarding as to see the impact I could have working with a homie or even not a friend, but like someone who I knew was super passionate about what they were doing, maybe had a job that they didn't like, and they were trying to figure out how they could get paid to be themselves and really build a career around their passion and around their gifts. And for me to be able to insert my, my talents into that equation and then see them accomplish their goals, that's just such a fulfilling feeling, right? Yeah. To help someone go from zero to 60K in a year, yeah. doing what they love, yeah. you know, it just didn't match up for me. So as I'm having success building first iteration of Rec in the warehouse in North Philly, like 
to see people coming up four flights of stairs, no heat, no AC. You remember <laughs> yeah, the warehouse, yeah, yeah, I remember. right? People oh. were sweating as they're learning yeah. from industry professionals because they just want the information. And, you know, that was exciting for me. And I said, all right, if I'm going to build something and I believe in this model and I know how valuable it is to people, there's no time like the present. Wow. When you know, you know. When you right? know, you know. So that's that's crazy. You know, I think about even just this, like, I don't know if I have plans, but like, Hey, I'm I'm putting my notice. Like I'm out. Yeah. Like I just got a new job. You know, so I'm, you know, from that, I'm 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 blessed, uh, especially given the, the time. Yeah, man. You know, with everything it's going real. on, you know, I'm very fortunate. But at the same time, I know at least right now, I still want to put my all into this. I still want to yeah. have these conversations. So I, I I get that when you have that that passion, that kind of drive. Yeah, and I'll say this too, man. Like like you said, when you know, you know, right? Yeah. Like I don't I don't I used to be like everyone could build a business, this and that, but I don't I don't really think that that's true. And I don't think entrepreneurship is for everyone. I think entrepreneurship should be reserved for the people who have that burning desire of like. I have that idea that keeps me up at night. I'm in the full-time job and I, I'm fighting myself at lunch because I've been doing an hour of research on my side thing. And now that I got to go back to doing the nine to five work, I just can't and it's just not in me. Like, I think it takes that level of um, excitement because, you know, God knows it's going to be a roller coaster and yeah. only that level of passion and excitement is going to get you through that. That's so until point. then, the nine to five should be the first investor, you know, and I yeah. don't think there's any shame in that at all. You yeah. know, learn on someone else's dime. Yeah, true. I, you know, going into that, was there ever a time, because it seems like you were really sure about that decision, mm-hmm. you know, Broad Street Music Group, then Rack, and, and what it's become now, was there ever a time that you maybe, or even Dave, had mm-hmm. doubts about all of this? Man, so that's a that's a great question. And honestly, I think I've just been fortunate enough to to have such a, I don't even know, maybe irrational belief, you know, in what we're doing. And you know what, here's what I think, here's what I think is underneath that now as I just say it out loud. So one, I'll say this, I think my upbringing was just perfect for entrepreneurship because I think the way I was raised, I was always forced to solve problems, you know, for better or for worse. Like as a kid, I I knew what it was like to, you know, have a class field trip where I knew my parents didn't have the bread to help me get there, but I knew I wanted to go. Right. And I would figure out a way to go to school and and make some money. Right. Whether it was, you know, selling Pokemon cards or battling kids in Yu-Gi-Oh for keeps to sell (laughs) them their cards back or marbles the whole nine. So I say that to say, like, I got to build that entrepreneurial muscle early and I had an incredible support system like in my grandmother who kind of like like I couldn't say the word can't growing up. There was no such thing in my household. Right. So like these are the little things that kind of wired me to be the person I am and have the confidence. And I was also raised in the church. So I was always, you know, just built on faith. But the second thing is, I think I took a different approach to entrepreneurship than the traditional model. And like what I mean by that is sometimes I think entrepreneurs, they have this idea for a product and then they go out trying to build that. And then once they build it, they then try to find people to sell it to. I never did that. For me, I made the decision first of, wait, who do I want to be valuable to, right? I knew that entrepreneurship was about solving problems. So it was like, well, who or what problem do I want to solve, right? And most importantly, whose problem do I want to solve? So for me, once I realized like, yo, I want to solve problems for people like me, which is young, you know, fucking intelligent, talented, gifted creatives, you know, that's who I wanted to. Go-getters kind of. yeah. That's who I wanted to, to to be of service to. So for me, it was always like, well, I am it. Therefore, I, I very much so know intimately what problems we have. And me always being a problem solver, I was like, yeah, I think I'm best positioned to solve these problems. So from there, it was never a, a thing of like, am I solving a real problem? Because I already knew. I had already done the work to, to build my community. So it was already like, I'm here having these conversations so I know what we need. And then I was getting the real-time feedback together of being like, hey, I have this idea, but like, let me ask you, is this really what you need? Is it really the education? Is it connection to mentorship? Is it connection to resources? Like, So we built this thing together, really. Yeah. So really just getting that feedback, all, like you said, all in real time and, and tying that together mm-hmm. and, build, and kind of building the bridge as you, as yeah. you cross it. Yeah, and then pivoting when necessary. Yeah, that's, I think there's something to that. I, f- I follow Gary Vee a lot. I'm yeah. sure you're a big fan of him. Huge he fan. always talks about, you know, that kind of mindset of, like, solving problems and whatnot. And, it's, and when you look around at businesses and, and, you know, when they usually fail, it's because they, like you said, brought out 
the product. Yeah. They realize like, oh snap, this actually doesn't solve a problem right. that anybody was looking for. Right. And now they're they're you know spending a bunch of money to to advertise on it and, right. and try and get it to somebody. And people are like, no, I don't want this. So so right. I think that's a very valuable lesson for entrepreneurs or just other people who are in working their business and, and trying to get sales and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess you know going off of that though. So you talk about your upbringing. You talk about being in an entrepreneur, being in the startup culture. So as a black man, right, yeah. like you're in this culture, especially in Philly, too, where it's a city that is at some points kind of defined by its racial demographic and racial separation between black and white. Mm-hmm. So how do you as a black man navigate a space that is traditionally white mm-hmm. and white men i'm sure there was challenges at first does it get easier For sure or you know how's that go yeah man uh that's that's an incredible question because you know like the the black male experience around entrepreneurship is so nuanced yeah. right it just takes it takes certain different characteristics right that yeah. aren't that our counterparts don't always need and and I would say for me it has gotten easier, but I think it's gotten easier because of the the inner work that I've been able to do. Okay. Right, because these spaces that aren't designed for us, like it's the little things, it's the microaggressions, it's the little things that people may or may not even realize are making those spaces unsafe for us. Yeah. Right. And sometimes people are they know that they're doing it. Right. Uh, and honestly, all of that feeling is really one of the other things that led us to want to build rec. Right. When you walk into rec and you look on the wall, when you first walk in, there's a mural that says there was never a place for people like us. So we decided to create one. Right. So a little bit of us building this was in response to like that feeling of knowing that we couldn't show up as our full selves, whether that was in the nine to five job that you didn't like or if that was just in a we work. Right. Yeah. Like I, I built my business out of WeWork type companies for a long time. And like as much as, you know, we could be there and our team could work there, we knew that those spaces weren't built for us. Right. Like just like the energy wasn't there, much less of the amenities that we needed. Right. So, yeah. So navigating, I think the startup space, especially during fundraising, was incredibly challenging. Right. And a lot of it was showing up understanding like what value you have right like in what you've built but also just in you and in who you are and especially in those spaces that again are you know run by mostly white men to do this dumb mistake of allowing them to dictate what your value is like that's the realest thing ever right and and especially for me right I'm coming in as this young black kid I got a beard (laughs) you know like uh, I'm talking about empowering creatives, right, and artists. In the beginning, everyone that I would tell about the model, they'd be like, oh, you're going to build a nonprofit. And I'd be like, what? No, <laughs> I'm building a for-profit startup. And and it's just because deep down in them, when they start thinking about art, they don't even see it as economic development engines. They see it as, oh, charity. Oh, that's all cool, esoteric. Art is, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, yo, like, the entertainment industry has been a hundreds of billion dollar industry for as long as we can remember. And yeah. it's always been driven by creators, even though creators aren't the ones who actually have control to monetize and this and that. You don't have the leverage necessarily. Right? Yeah. So it's like being a pioneer is one of those things that just is a prerequisite for being, uh, I think, a black man in these spaces because you have to have that thick skin and resilience to dodge the ignorance right with the same level of enthusiasm and you gotta just you gotta know what you're worth in here because no one outside is going to validate it to you until you carry that energy of already being it you know i remember one time um i was at a an event it was run by backstage capital and arlen hamilton right arlen hamilton incredible investor first uh also happens to be a black woman uh queer black woman at that and um I asked a question one time to her on a panel she was on, and she gave me an incredible piece of advice. And this is right before I started my fundraising journey. And I was like, yo, like, I'm doing this, doing that. Here's the model. We were fundraising. What advice do you have? And basically she was like, yo, if you're trying to raise money before you'll raise money, you have to be money, right? And basically she was saying that, like, there's an energy that you got to bring where you are already it. You're like manifesting it almost. Exactly. Before anyone's going to hand it to you, they got to know that handing it to you is just multiplying it because you already are money. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you you just do your work, the way you show up. So then I got to go and do a bunch of the work that would help me show up as money. 
and then our fundraising journey got easier. And then after that happens, you kind of leverage all of those wins to the next one. I mean, that's great advice. That's pretty cool. I will say I personally, I don't know. That, that just hit me, man. Yeah, so. it's, it's real, man. And it's not an easy thing to do, but it just it's so real. And even I've had to re... You know what? I'll take it here, man. Here, Here's something I meditated on recently, and it was really powerful for me and my homie who we were talking about it. So the interesting thing for me as a leader now is I'm growing my company, right? You know, 15 full-time employees, like valuation in, in, in the millions, like we're doing the thing, right? 18-year-old Will will be incredibly proud of 29-year-old Will sitting in front of you right now, right? And one of the things I've realized that I've been dragging my feet on transitioning into is... I know that I have a gift to do public speaking, right? And I'm going to go into that space. But I've been so apprehensive about taking up all the space that is mine when it comes to like building my personal brand, being on stage, right? All these different times. And the, the thing that I meditated on and I realized was I was almost dampening anything that felt like it came from ego in my character, right? So try to like neglect the attention, right? Like push it off and just make sure. That, and the reason why I was inclined to want to shun away anything that felt like ego is because there was so long in my life where ego was all I had. And the only way I got to be here is because of that same undoubted faith that I had, which really was ego, right? Just which is belief in self. And then someone was like, yo, like ego pumped up shows up as self-belief but when ego is in check you understand your connection to everything around you which could help me because it was like yo me being at one of our events and not getting on stage and talking about what we're doing for the people like is not understanding and respecting my place in the space and it's almost disrespectful to everyone else because it's like they want to hear what you have to say because yeah. they're here to support the vision and the mission right yeah and there's like a certain self-awareness that kind of goes with that too you know mm -hmm. i think i think that's i don't know if you start day zero about, you know, how are you going to make it in the world? I think self-awareness is, is so important. That's something I'm learning now. Yeah. And, in, in, you know, say I'm someone who, like, up until, I don't know, like, two or three years ago, I'm 20, what, six, about to be 27. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I was just doing what I thought was the right thing. But sure. now I'm, like, learning. I'm like, no, like, mm. I got to do what's right for me and what I'm best at and whatnot yeah. and, and saying, like, hey, look, like, you know, so like in a similar way. So yeah, and learning and unlearning. Yeah, right? learning yeah. which of those things you were doing because you wanted to, or which of those things you were doing because you thought were the best things because of what we've been conditioned to believe is the best. Just yeah. breaking that down. That's I think that's always going to be like a lifelong journey for some, but I think that's the right journey in terms of like just becoming self-aware. Being in Philly, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of talked touched on it a little earlier. Not underrated or slept <laughs> on, but. Some people, you know, especially in the creative space, kind of don't give Philly the respect it deserves all the time. Sure. So, you know, what does it mean for you to have this level of success with Rec in Philadelphia, you know, a city, you know, where, uh, you know, has this image of, of you know, blue collar work. And, and but for people who know it, it's kind of an up and coming tech city. Straight up. You know, so so what does that mean to you to also yeah. be on that stage with all these people? Sure. And, and really uplifting Philly. Yeah. So first, I'm grateful. You know what I'm saying? Like we are the what fifth biggest market in the U.S. You know, we're the largest black city. You know what I'm saying? Um, what I love about Philly and I truly believe it's like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Because for me, I don't think it's a thing where like people look down on Philly. I think Philly looks down on itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's just what it is. It's like everybody loves Philly except people from Philly. You know, like I've never been to any other city where then I've told someone I was from Philly and they didn't respect it. Like I've always gotten love on the road, right? Just because I'm from Philly. Maybe it's because they just think it's a tough city and then like I'm going to beat them up or something. <laughs> yeah. But like I've yo, always, yo, 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 right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you from Philly? Oh, all right. <laughs> but no, I've always gotten love there. But I think it's like, um, you know, it's we have a, a tough way of showing that we love each other yeah. right and you think about our sports teams like yeah. it's that's just the energy here um so i think it means a lot to be able to find the level of success that we have here because i think you have to be it has to be real like philly is not a fake love type city yeah. like some other cities like philly they're gonna tell you if what you got is hot and if it ain't they're gonna tell yep. you yep. you know so i'm grateful for that because i think like it fortifies you and your character but also whatever you're building in a way where it's like it ain't gonna make it unless it's the real thing yeah. and i'm grateful for that 
So now it's about, you know, really championing, you know, ourselves, our city, the model in a way that other folks can see their success in it. And from there, I think it'll it'll do what it what it needs to do. That's that's dope. I think, um, yeah, Philly is a tough city. Uh, so, you know, full transparency, even though I like I rep Philly mm-hmm. till the day I die, like I've moved around a bit. And, sure. and so it's it's funny that you say that, like in terms of anyone who's not from Philly gives Philly a lot of respect. Yeah. Right. But. I think when you come back into the city and you're here and people are like, it, it, it kind of is like, not it's self-hatred, but just like kind of a woe is me kind of mentality yeah. of like, oh, like, you know, like we got to prove ourselves every yeah. day. And it's just a self-deprecating, like, like the way Philly, like the way Philly navigates just adversity and trauma is through humor. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like the crazy thing, like if you ever watch like Philly Twitter when like something wild is happening in the news, <laughs> like. It don't matter how serious it is. Someone's got jokes. Yeah, I think about like John Wick. <laughs> yeah, like that's exactly. the immediate thing that comes. Up. Like, and for those you know aren't aware of the situation, what was it, like a year ago? Yeah, or, not even. Not even like there was a dude you know shooting at police. It was a, yeah. a shootout. Literally shut the whole city down. Yeah, North Philly. Whole city down, and and people on immediately on Twitter. I'm seeing yo, they got John Wick up there. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like yo, it's a, like people are getting shot. Yeah. You know, it's a whole like whole thing and it's just it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah, it's just like that, that's our culture that's the defense mechanism yeah. it's like anything could be happening someone's got jokes so what what happens then is like for anyone who's doing something different you have to have the thick skin because you're gonna get roasted in the beginning yeah. when people don't get it it's oh this bull think he this or that yeah. and yada yada you know but it's all about that resilience they want to make sure you really want to do what you say you want to do before people embrace you but I will say I've seen it for myself. Like now that I've been around, you know, doing this full time six years, and like the impact is is very clear. You know that people know we're not going anywhere. You know, people come back around and they're like, "Oh, that's dope." You know, I've been watching for you know I've been watching the whole time, right? And it's like, "Oh, word, that's crazy." Because it looked like you was throwing snowballs. Like, <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, I mean, going off of that, that's to to get more personal, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. I'll, Half of this show is, you know, me just talking to people about living their best life. Sure. Right? And so we touched in a little bit about kind of your personal uh, ethos and everything. But, you know, for you, my question is, mm-hmm. is there such a thing as a good life? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, the way I define a good life is do your intentions align with your actions, right? Like if okay. if if your desires, the things you want, the things that you go out to go get, and then the things that you follow through and, and can fulfill, if they're aligned, I think you're going to have a good life because I think that's what, like, peace is built off of. Like, peace is, is wanting what you have. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like if we can align those things where it's like the things in my spirit that, like, the things my spirit is telling me I want, if I have the means to go get those things, that's a great life, right? Yeah. And I think where we get into trouble is, like, when ego, you know, wants all these crazy desires, but we can't fulfill them for whatever reasons, then you got to sit at night and be like, damn, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah. You know, you're not, not happy aligned. with yourself, you know? Yeah. that's See, that's interesting because to me, when I think about this question, I think that especially in the Western world, but also even America specifically, you know, we, we build up this idea of the good life. Like the, you know, American dream kind sure. of stuff where it's like, oh, we got to have like... You know, two point five kids picket fence. But again, that's that's allowing our conditioning to tell us what the good life is yeah. instead of that coming from inside. Yeah. So th- I I think that's interesting. Because yeah. like, I personally believe that we could have whatever we want. Like I truly believe that. Like, and if you if your idea of a good life is the nine to five, you make a hundred k, you got the white picket fence, your dog, your two kids, your spouse that may not be your soulmate, but is like pretty solid. Like yeah. to some people, <laughs> if that's a good life, boom, you you got it, you're good. But if that's your life, but what you really want is to be a millionaire, to have the freedom of your time and hang out with only the people you want to hang out with, be wildly passionate and all these things. If that's what you deeply want, but you settle for the first thing, that's not a good life. Right. But if a good life to you is just being happy, you make 40K a year and like your family's healthy, that could also be a good life if that's what you want. True. So it's just, again, having that self-awareness, I guess for you then. For living, you know, a good life or living your mm-hmm. best life, really, like, what are the things that you do on a daily basis to help you get there? Mm, that's a good job. That's a good question. So I, I'm a nerd. So I've learned that 
as much as I'm super creative and love that every day looks different for me, discipline and routine is really what gives me the freedom and, and the, the ability to set myself up to, to be, to stay in a good life. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, I know that I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm, first thing I'm doing is reading my Bible, you know, I'm praying and then I'm going for the run, you know what I'm saying? Get my two miles in. Um, gotta get them steps in. <laughs> gotta do it, right? I'm getting my push-ups in, the sit-ups in. I'm drinking the two glasses of water before I even leave the crib. Like, those are the little things that I do that just, like, it's it's me telling myself, I know that these are the best things for me mentally, physically, spiritually. So then if I then execute those in the day, I know I'm going to have a great day. You know what I'm saying? Because I've already done the hard work. Now I just get to flow through the day to a certain extent, you know? So that's how I do it. And then for me, in the meditation is where, like, I get to sit with myself and really ask the questions, right? What do I really want? What really makes me happy? How do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? And then the tough part is listening to what you learn when you tell yourself those things and then go out and do the things you got to do. Do you, uh, do you journal? Are you, I journal. Okay. okay. Journal. So, you ha- like, do you find that? writing it down helps or like is it just like sometimes you just ask yourself the questions and you're like let me ponder um, about it or? i think the i think the really important ones okay. it's helpful when you journal them out and really write them right because okay. i think um depending on where you are in your in your mindfulness journey like sometimes you, you're going in loops right as you're thinking through these things and then you can easily forget what you were thinking about so then writing it down makes it real okay. um but also i do think there's uh, a beautiful art of just like seeing what comes up for you when you're not trying to think when you're in meditation. Because yeah. I think that's the, those are the real messages that you're telling you. But yeah, journaling, I think, is a, a practice that I want to get even more consistent with. But I think it's super powerful. Right. I don't know. Every three months, I, like, pick it back up in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, like, if I'm just sitting there, I'm like, yo, like, I don't think about this. I'm really, you know, I don't know. My yeah. mind runs at a thousand miles per hour sometimes. And, and I find that when I just sit there, write it out like yeah. what's, what's the actual question i'm asking mm-hmm. uh it, it really helps me to get clarity and clarity like, oh like oh so that's why i'm actually thinking about that that's yeah. the real reason at, at it at yeah. its root and, so. that, and that clarity is a superpower bro yeah it's a superpower yeah. i want to say like i don't know i'm like sitting here like is it good to chase clarity but like you know chasing anything i'm like is that good but i think Ooh, that's a good question i mean off rip like i think so like if you're gonna chase anything chase the truth that's hey yeah right yeah. and i think clarity is just the ways of getting to the truth right yeah. like and and i think that if we're being honest people and i'm not telling anyone how to live their life but if the beha- the habits you have and like the routines you set up help you get to the, the the clearest way of being then you have all the tools to then like act on that truth you know what i mean but like if we're not eating right and our minds are cloudy and like we're all low energy, we don't have the clarity to even know where we should be going, yeah. right? And things like that. Yeah, that's important. I think um, putting the right stuff in your body and in, yeah. in your mind, like and around under- you. <laughs> Again, right. going back to that term, but it's underrated. I think. You yeah. Know, I think people don't really think about. See, I got to challenge that word underrated again. I don't think it's underrated because I think people know that that's the best way to do it. But I think there's certain kind of people that like they might know that that's the best way, but they're so addicted to the short term pleasure that they can't then bring themselves to have the discipline to do the hard thing. Like, bro, steak is so good, right? It is. is. Or burgers from McDonald's. Yeah. some people love them right yeah. so it's like to tell someone yo you should actually go eat kale for the next couple of weeks and you should be drinking sea moss when like they could just go eat sugar it's hard right yeah, yeah. but it's not underrated because people know what the the value are the value is yeah. some people just don't want it as much as they want pe- like i don't know um just like short-term happiness and stimulus yeah it's like so you know through just friends and and, and people i've met I won't say I've embraced being a vegetarian necessarily, mm-hmm. but I dabbled in it. Like sure. I went a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, let me see if I can sure. do it. And I will say like it really like I won't say it was life changing, but I will say like I was like, whoa, like I, f- I just feel better. You know it. I just like f- go through the you know world better a little bit. I feel yeah. better. I, you know, I think a little clearer. Yeah. So, you know, look, I'm going I'm to share this concept with you. And I think maybe um, off air, we might have talked about this before. Maybe, but uh, I think it's important to say here because I think like what we're talking about is this almost like this idea of almost like life design, 
right? With I nerd out on concepts like this because um, I think it's really, really simple, right? Like when we talk about like what's possible and like having a good life, I think like we overcomplicate it, but it's literally everything comes down to two choices, the one you want or the one that you don't want, but you may settle for, right? Um, and the concept that I want to share is called ontological design. Have we talked about that before? I feel like we, a little bit. Bro. So I'll break it down. I'll try to make it super quick too. So this concept that I learned called ontologic, ontological design completely changed my life. Yeah. I learned it maybe like three or four years ago. So shout out to Jason Silva, the guy who, who really put it on my plate. But basically it's this idea that the design process, as we think about design, we think about it like it's just like a one-part process. Yeah. You wake up, you design something, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. But really, when you think about it, the design process is inherently a two-part process. The first part of it is someone designed something. So for example, I have this iPhone in my hand. Steve Jobs and his team decided they wanted to create this iPhone, multi-touch, right? No buttons. It yeah. does all these things. But now that I have this iPhone and it's a part of my life, the second part of the design process is now that I have it, it begins to design me back. And that's what people don't give a lot of respect to. Yeah. So, for example, because I have this iPhone, boss, you better know, I don't know your phone number. Yeah. And I don't need to. I also don't need to know the directions to get to most places I go because I know this thing has my back and I can just go on the Maps app. All those little things. And we could talk about tons and tons of things that are different about us because we have these devices, right? So I say all that to say when I learned about this two-part design process, I said, okay, well, let me start on the second part what do I want to be true, right? Who do I want to be, right? And then once I know what the result is, then I figure out how can I design my life to get yeah. that end result, right? So the simple way they say like, if you hang around four broke people, you're gonna be the fifth one. So if you don't want to be broke, you have to find a way to design your friend group to have less broke people in it, right? Like. Yeah. If you want to be able to, to, to be successful, how do you make sure you're spending your time around people who are successful? If you want to lose weight, bro, we got to take the snacks out of your crib. Yeah. Because at some point, your desire to be in shape is going to be less powerful than the, the, the willpower that you don't have when you see the snacks. And you're going to be like, you know what? I can, I can eat the cookies this time. Yeah. So it's like design your environment that will be able to create the path of least resistance to your goals. I think that's that's really important. Now, like connected back to our you know conversation about the you know vegetarian stuff like mm -hmm. that, I stopped buying like you know cuts of meat. Yeah. So like when I go to a grocery store, I'm like, oh, I only buy like vegetarian or, or yeah. like soy options and stuff like that. And so I'm like, all right, like yeah, I might be going outside. I'm like, all right, like I'll go to Shake Shack, like sure. and have that burger. Sure. But like I'm also you know just by virtue of not bringing that in my home, right? I'm already cut that out. Like, Boom percentage-wise. It's yeah. that easy. And and that exact concept is how Rec came about, right? It was me sitting back and saying, damn, I wish it was easier for creatives to have a, a, a simple path to building their businesses, to making money, to connecting with each other, right? To growing together. And then it was like, oh, well, if that's what we want to see happen, what environment can we create? What needs to be in the environment? Yeah. What, what tools needs to be cut out of the environment? What shouldn't be there, yeah. right? And after after you think that way, everything gets simpler. Because then you have to ask yourself, like, yo, does this decision I'm making get me closer to the grand vision or further away? Uh, that's, that, I think that's important. Speaking of decisions, I like to ask people, you know, what keeps you up at night? Maybe it's not a decision. Sure. Um, you know, I've had everybody say from, from spiders to, to, <laughs> to, like, I don't know, the existential dread that, sure. that is existence. <laughs> um, that's so funny. So, so, you know, I would love to hear, you know, what keeps Will up at night? Oh, what keeps me up at night? Um, the the thing that keeps me up at night most often is like when you get incredible inspiration like right before bed because I'm I'm very much so like I believe in like channeling whatever's coming and like being able to get that out you know what being I'm saying like a vessel for that energy yeah I'm a vessel for the idea I'm a vessel for you know that epiphany that energy so when it happens I love to just chase it so like okay. if it happens to be one a.m. and I get that crazy idea like you better believe I'm getting up I'm getting the journal out and we're gonna write. Um, just because you don't want to miss it, you know? That's, yeah. That's so that keeps me up at night. What else? I've been getting pretty good sleep lately, so that's a blessing. <laughs> yeah. And outside of that, I'd say, if anything, it's just, you know, how to how to get where we're going in the most efficient way possible. Okay. You okay. know? 
on the flip side of that, then, what would you say is the if you had to nail it down to one motivator? I think you touch on a couple actually through mm-hmm. this conversation. But what is the one thing you would say is like this is my motivator? This is like without yeah. this impact. Impact. Yeah, for me, man, my motivator is I am extremely grateful for the just the blessings I've been given, man. And and I know at this point how impactful my work is, has been, and can continue to be. And for me, knowing that, I wake up in the morning just grateful to be able to contribute, you know? And that's on so many levels. Like, I mean that in, I know that my niece looks up to me and my, my younger brothers and sisters look up to me and they're watching the things I'm doing and it's rewiring what they know is possible for them, right? That makes me want to be the best person I could be. Right. I, I know that like because our our company and the model exists that we've had over seventy people in our program be able to quit their full time jobs to then do the thing that's actually more fulfilling for them. I want that number to be seven hundred, right? Like I know that like there's just young people I don't even know who maybe follow me on Instagram and just see how I move and they say, Oh, so that's what a version of success looks like outside of someone being an athlete, being a drug dealer, right? Doing all these other things. It's like, oh, you could get it the right way and have fun doing it, right? And look good doing it. And doing it. it with your friends too. And doing it with your friends, yeah. you know? Yeah. So for me, when I wake up and I have those moments of like, oh man, I got to just remember how blessed I am. Because, you know, for me, like I have tons of family members who haven't even gotten close to the level of privilege I have when it comes to the fact that I can wake up and do what I want to do each day, right? Like, uh, so I don't, I don't sneeze at that. I, I know that that's like an incredible blessing, but also responsibility. That's a great answer. Like you said, you know, to, to be an inspiration to others, you know, both within your own circle, but also people you might not even know who are mm-hmm. out there just watching what you're doing and being inspired. I think that's, that, that's, that is a privilege. I think that's, you know, that's real, like, I think you rolled it well. Thank you. Um, in, in terms of the, you know, at least from my perspective, I remember, you know, I just remember, had just, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this stuff where, you know, I'm gonna build an agency for creatives. And I was like, mm-hmm. let me reach out to these people that are already doing this because yeah. I'm like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. And I remember you just taking the time out of your day to just sit and talk to me and, and sp- you know, spit game and put sure. me on game and be like, hey, look, this is what we do. Yeah. This is how we do it. This is how we get got here. Yeah. And since day one, just been someone who's been, you know. A leader but also really someone a, a teacher yeah you know and so i, I, Thanks, I respect man. that yeah for, for, i appreciate you calling that out man for me like i feel like the best thing i can do to show my gratitude for the blessings i've been given is to do my best to multiply myself so it's like anyone i see that you know not even just looks like me but anyone who i feel like i can help i will because it's just yeah. like that's the whole point right like i want to make sure that like like I know representation is important, right? You can't be what you can't see. So I don't want there to be like, oh, here's Will. He's that one example. Like, I want to do what I can to be like, yo, there's mad us. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. they look different and we'll interpret, you know, our, our, our gifts and callings differently. And we'll all, you know, be exactly what somebody needs. Yeah, but sh- like shining together and whatnot. Yeah. That's it. Speaking of being a teacher and stuff, just to wrap it up, you mm-hmm. know, I thank you for your time and, and everything. What is one piece of advice with you know everything that's happened, I know a lot of people are transitioning in in terms of you know their career maybe or yeah. even just finding a job or even saying like look you know what I'm gonna take my hand at some entrepreneurship because why not yeah so you know if you have one piece of advice for that person out there who's listening right now about what's the next step that they can take what would that be mm. Ooh, let me think about that for a second yeah no Most doubt I just want to make sure that I you know being thoughtful here. One piece of advice for someone who's navigating 2020 or 2021 or whatever year we're in now, I think the thing that's coming up for me is just do it, you know? Shout out Nike. Um, <laughs> now, I think it's, it's... The check's coming in right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just do it, right? Like, again, um, I really believe in just, like, positive affirmations, manifesting, and I think sometimes... We get in our heads overthinking about why something can't be our reality, why something can't exist. Um, when, like Steve Jobs says, everything around us that we see in the world was created by people no smarter than us. 
So it's about just going out and doing. Like doing is so much better than like continually learning, right? We can learn and learn and overlearn. And this is from someone who is, I love to learn, right? But it's like, just do it and realize that whatever it is that you feel called to do, there's probably someone out there whose, whose life could be better because you did your thing. And if you think about it that way, it's less about us. It's less about, oh, you know, you need to be an entrepreneur. You need to get the accolades. But it's like, yo, there's problems that you may specifically be best positioned to solve. And if you decide to just overthink it because you're scared, that's, that's you know, value that someone doesn't get to get. To connect that to, to something, I think about Les Brown. Yeah, uh, I love Les Brown. Spe- spe- yeah. So, you know, he talks a lot about being on your grave, on, on your deathbed. Mm. And having all of your gifts kind of surrounding you and saying, you know, we were, you know, we can only live through you. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't yet necessarily share them and whatnot, like they, those gifts die with they you die with as you. well. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I think about that a lot. And I'm trying to, I hope I'm trying to be the person that can, can say, you know, let me share my gifts with the world. And so, so I, you know, mm. I appreciate that same sentiment where yeah. you're saying, if you're out there and you're listening, like, do the thing now. Yeah. And share share your gifts with the world. So I, I think that's I think that's uh, you know great advice. You know again for all of this like thank you thank you for just course, coming on man. the show. It's been a great conversation. You mind if I tell the folks where they can find? Yeah, me? sure. Cool. So uh, if you guys want to stay tuned for the journey, um, you can follow Rec Philly on Instagram at Rec Philly R E C Philly www.recphilly.com, or you can follow me personally, and you can follow me personally at the will toms that's t-h-e will toms t-o-m-s and that's on instagram and twitter look out for me there i'm I'm pretty active on those platforms and then also um i got a book coming out my first book comes out next year finally i'm hype um you've been so helpful as a part of that process too um but i'm really excited it's called uncommon sense your strategy guide to creative independence So for anyone who's looking to build something around who they are, get paid to be themselves, turn your passion into profit, it's a 10-chapter book really um, for you to to help you understand the steps to building, engaging folks, and then monetizing around your gifts. So look out for that. That drops in 2021. And uh, yeah, all sorts of cool things on the way. So can't can't wait for it. So (laughs) thanks, man. This is fun. And that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a rating and a review on Apple or wherever you're listening as it helps others find this podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode as we interview Cass Bailey, founder and CEO of Slice Communications and a Philadelphia champion of women in business. As always, remember to live, laugh, and learn. So usually this is the part where I leave something funny, but instead I'm going to ask if you can go sign up for my newsletter, Random Thoughts Newsletter. I release it every other week, so usually weeks when I'm releasing the podcast, uh, and it's basically my random thoughts on a topic, uh, whether it be grit, uh, determination, or productivity. So yeah, that's the Random Thoughts Newsletter. Go try it out, subscribe, uh, tell a friend. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I'll see you there. Bye.